Not one of them appears to have been converted before his crucifixion. One betrayed him. His chief disciple cursed and swore that he didn't know him. And all of them disputed as to which of them was going to be the greatest. Even while he was telling them that he would die for them. His disciples were hung up on this topic. They were jockeying for position. They had not even made it to the first phase of what God was trying to disseminate to them. And yet Jesus wills leadership of his church to these 12. Talk about a failure. He comes to the end of his ministry, and it doesn't appear that any of his disciples actually heard what he said. Three years of intensive teaching with no convert in his inner circle. Three years of preaching, and his audience failed to respond, and yet he went to his grave an apparent failure. If his leadership and his ministry had been judged simply by what meets the human eye and is valued by typical human standards, Jesus should have folded up his sermon notes and turned in his credentials. But he didn't do that because Jesus had a greater vision. He was able to see beyond the obstacles and say, I recognize what looks like a failure right now is not the end result of what I'm seeing down in the future. I want to tell you tonight by way of introduction, I'm thankful that God looked at me at different periods in my life and said, I know that that looks like an absolute failure, an obstacle to future things, but I'm going to give you an opportunity and a chance to work out some of those things and I'm going to use you because the end result is much greater than what's happening right now. Are you thankful that God had mercy on each and every one of us and gave to us an opportunity? Thank God for that. Praise God. Thank God for that. He was able to see beyond the low lying fruit and he could see a greater vision. And, and it goes to point out in this passage of Scripture that Jesus recognized in leadership and any leadership that you're involved in, whether it's Sunday school, youth ministry, leadership on your job, a school teacher, one of the greatest difficulties being a, a teacher in school is you want to be their best friend. That's the biggest mistake that you could ever make. You're not their best friend. You are the teacher. And when you become the best friend, all of a sudden the classroom breaks down completely. Your, your rules and standard of conduct breaks down because they think that you're just a, a good friend. That's very, very difficult. It's easier said than done. And we have teachers that come into BAA. And I know for a fact class and the leadership that is involved, this is one of the things that they drive home. You have to have policies and procedures, and if you don't and you get on the same level, you're going to have major, major problems and difficulties. So <clears throat> you've got to set that up right. You're not going to be able to please everybody, and you might as well just come to grips with that. In the beginning, it's going to be better for you, and you're going to be more successful. But if you try to please everybody, you're going to be a failure. So Jesus presents a leadership principle that not everybody is going to understand, and not everybody is going to be happy 
with the direction that I'm going. While he's telling them I'm going to the cross, they're arguing about who can be the greatest. They completely missed everything that he said, and this created internal problems because now the other ten are upset at James and John because they're jockeying for position, and then you just have a lot of inter-strife inter and turmoil. And so Jesus, from the very beginning, reveals to us that if you're going to make a stand, I'm talking in general right now, if you're going to make a stand and you're going to stand on convictions, not everybody's going to be happy with you. Not everybody in your family is going to be happy with you when you step out and say, I'm going to have some convictions and I'm going to live for God. As a matter of fact, it may cause strife in your home and family and people are going to come out of the woodworks that did not care what you were doing before, but now all of a sudden they become great theologians and tell you exactly what you should and shouldn't be doing and try to define you because you've got some conviction. I want to encourage every new baby, new convert, praise God. You've got to hang on to what God is doing in your life and recognize that what he's doing is greater than anything else. Every voice that comes and tries to distract you, get you off track, you square your shoulders and say, if it had not been for the Lord, I'd still be strung out. If it had not been for the Lord, I'd still be addicted. But I'm in the house of God. Things are changing in my life and you might not like it, but I'm telling you, come join me. Come join me. Come join me. Amen. Come join me and watch what God is doing. And I, I feel for those circumstances and situations and we need to be a church that surrounds people with love because that is a key moment where, where either they will step across the threshold of commitment or they will be pulled and absorbed back into that old world and lifestyle. Amen. I want to link up with somebody and say, hey, you're on the right track. Praise God. You're going the right direction. <laughs> Hallelujah. God, God is leading you. Keep going that way. Amen. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. <clears throat> Praise God. So seeing beyond the low-lying fruit, this is, this is something that Jesus recognizes. He sees a bigger picture. And there certainly are powerful testimonies in this house that leapfrog the little stuff. And I'll tell you in pastoring, uh, one of the things that is so um, uplifting and helpful and encouraging is some of the big stuff. God is in the business of doing big stuff. You know, there's some people that are so traumatized and hurt by things that have happened in their past at an early and young age. And a lot of times it won't even crop up and appear until later in life because they will suppress it. They will suppress it and try to bury it. In many cases, they're doing it out of survival. There are some things that they can control there's a lot of stuff that they can't control, and so they try to control what they can control, and that's the only way that they even make it. And so they, they build a lot of those coping mechanisms into their life. That may be buried and suppressed for years on end, and then later it shows up and crops up years down the road, and there's a lot of water under the bridge, but then it becomes a great problem, and there's trauma associated and connected to that. And healing is hard work. And so when you face that giant and you're going to make some changes, 
That's a very, very traumatic thing. It takes a lot of support, a lot of encouragement. A lot of times people want to save face. They don't want to reveal their vulnerabilities. And coming to somebody and exposing that is it feels like a dirty thing. And so you've got to do that with somebody that's got confidence in you. And then, and then to try to get your head around that and work through that and resolve some of those issues is an absolute dog fight. And yet there are people in the house of God that are here with their hands lifted up in the air saying, you know what, this is for God's glory and I thank God, amen. There's a lot of places that I could be because of all of that. I could have taken my very own life, but God's hand was on me. These are big things that God does. Not always can you get in the pulpit and talk about that kind of stuff, but it's big, major things. Hallelujah. You don't get there easily. It doesn't come with one great service. Sometimes it's months and sometimes Sometimes it is years, but you know the satisfaction that is in the heart of a pastor when he looks out and he sees somebody's been struggling and battling for years and years, but they finally feel like I've crested over. God's doing things in my life, and I'm getting free from some stuff that has dogged my trail for years on end. And now there is victory and freedom and liberty in the house of God. These are big things that God does. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Let's just rejoice for a moment right here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. This was supposed to be a dull and boring lesson. So let me get back to the dull and boring part of the lesson. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to establish that there, there are big things. God does big things. He's in the business. And, and most of the time, if not, at least we try most of the time to project the big things that God is doing, not the little things or the low-lying fruit. That's okay. She's having a shout down out there in the lobby. That's all right. Praise God. So, uh, so you, you try to focus on those kind of things because those are the important things, not that other things cannot be problematic or can stand in the way, but it's very, very dangerous to only have a focus on the low-lying fruit. This is, this is not good because then you become fixated on that and you, and you miss, like the disciples, you miss something that's overarching that is greater. And so any, any stage of life, we can get detoured by something. It's a challenge for children, uh, young people. Uh, young adults, married couples, raising children, parenting, a pull of the world, and then you enter into middle age, and then your health starts falling apart, and uh, that's a whole nother thing. So Michelle was sitting here the other night. She had three pairs of glasses around her neck. I said, what in the world is going on here? She said, I, I have to have all three. I need these to read, I need these to see, and I need these so that stuff doesn't give me a headache. And I'm like, my word, this is not good. <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, these are the things that happen. And so if, if we're not careful, we, we can take our eye off the prize. And we can focus on stuff that are not the big initiatives and they're not the greater things but they are the low-lying fruit. So tonight, I, so because we typically focus on things that are large initiatives, 
Um, let's just take a moment and talk about some of these smaller things and then try to relate that to leadership and all these things that I'm talking about here. Human nature is to get stuck on the things that are insignificant. And that's just human nature. Sometimes if, if I'm not, if I wake up on, my wife has got a story where I came into the kitchen and she was making oatmeal. And her and Paisley were having oatmeal. I came in, sat down. I didn't want oatmeal. And so I said, I don't want oatmeal, I want eggs. And it was so ridiculous and immature that they both started laughing at me. And that has become something that I probably will never get away from because what, you wanted eggs, didn't you? And so we, if we're not careful, we can let, <laughs> I don't want lumpy oatmeal, I want egg. I think I even said that, I don't want lumpy oatmeal, I want eggs. We can let these little things pile up and then pretty soon we, we start focusing on stuff because we're struggling with a bunch of other stuff and that translates into a lot of stuff that we would be better suited avoiding and focusing on something that is greater. That's not always easy. So I'm not making light of that. It's not always easy. And yet hopefully in the house of God and the word of God, there is clarity that helps us. So uh, leadership, sound, temperature, lights, and a cafe. So I'm, I'm going to lay out to you uh, the sound part by way of information, how we arrive at what we do and how we do it here. There's three major components. There's a focus, there's a dynamic part of it, and then there's a subjective part of it. The focus is you have to have a target. And I don't know that all churches do this. Wherever I go, I, I kind of ask, what, what do you do? What, what's the decibel levels? Because I want to know what, what is the focus. You have to have a point. You have to have a target. You got to be trying to hit something. And so that varies across the spectrum depending on where you are. Um, those people that I have talked to um, tell us or tell me that our focus and target is a little less than some other places. Um, but you have to have a target. You're not going to be able to please everybody. So how do you arrive at the target? And that's interesting. So the way that I arrive at the target is I like music. I enjoy uh, music. And so every once in a while, I will watch for what is taking place at the Greek Theater, which is in Los Angeles. It is outside in a canyon. Up through the canyon, there's a beautiful place called the Greek Theater, and they have a lot of concert, uh, concerts there. So every once in a while, just to keep the fire, home fires burning, I will take Mrs. Bradford down there, and we will go to a concert at the Greek Theater. I'm slipping in some relationship stuff to you as, as well. All you couples, listen to me. Never remove dating out of your life. You dated her before you married her. You got to keep dating her. And so you keep on that. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> if, if, if you stop that, you're going to take the fun out of the relationship. You're going to grow distant. You're going to get so buried by parenting and everything else that you just... 
and then you end up apart, and then at some point you look at each other and you say, I, I don't even like you. So you gotta, <laughs> you gotta ward that off. And the way, the way that you do that is you keep dating. So every once in a while, say, Mrs. Bradford, we're going down, we're gonna, we're gonna go see the two cellos, two guys that play cellos, concert music, but then the second half of the concert, they start doing a lot of covers of stuff and it gets crazy and it's fun. It's a beautiful environment, but it's up in a canyon and you got to go through a lot of houses to get to it. I would not want to live up there, even though they're multi-million dollar homes, because there's traffic going up there. And then you got this place right up there at the bottom. It's in Griffith Park, so it's right underneath the observatory. And you 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 got all these homes here, and then you got all these concerts, and they could run the gamut from who knows, from classical to rock to country to blues. I mean, you 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 name it. It can it can cover a lot of stuff. So while I was there, I was very interested to find out why at the mix position they had a readout there. You could actually see it. It, it was a readout. So I got to asking questions to uh, some of the people that were there that knew a little bit about the Greek theater. And they told me some very fascinating things. They told me that, first of all, 11 o'clock is the curfew because all those people in the homes will yell vociferously if you're blasting stuff at 11.30, 12 o'clock. I mean, even 11 is a little late, but 11 is the curfew. So that's, that's the rule. And then the second rule is the reason that there is a, lead out, a readout there is because there is a decibel rating for the Greek theater because of all the homes that are there. And so I thought, mm, that's fascinating. What is the decibel reading? Well, the decibel reading is 95. So there are actual sound engineers employed by Los Angeles County that will show up. And there's been, some, there's been some cases in history where it has gotten really volatile. There was one uh, rock band that was just gonna ignore everything and uh, they were running decibel levels at like 115 to 120, which is like way, way up there. And so the sound engineers showed up and shut them down. So they will shut you down if when they show up you're not operating at something that is less than 95. Now, it may, there were times I was, I ended up watching that more than I was watching what was going on because it was just fascinating to me. There were times that it would peak over that, uh, but it's, it, that was the threshold. The threshold was 95. So sound engineers, if they come and you're consistently going over that, then that's a problem. So the people at the board and the mixed position, they have to hold to that and keep that, even though it may spike at times. The other night in here, when we gave a baptismal certificate, we hit 105, and that was just people yelling and clapping their hands. So <clears throat> it will spike, and it will do that, but there is a target. There's a target. So I think it's very, very important that you have a target that is at least in some acceptable range. Now, that's not gonna make everybody happy there's going to be some that think, well, that's too loud. And then you're going to have some that say it's not loud enough. And so just recently, we had to make a switch with some of our sound people. And we brought a great couple from Brother Schweitzer's church from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he came out 
And I gave him carte blanche to just like, do, do what you can do. He talked to everybody. He asked the musicians. He asked Brother McAllister, what, what, what do you want to hear? And he mixed all of that. And so I didn't say anything to him. I just let him mix it Sunday morning. Um, it was loud, but he was able to get a mix. That was too loud for some of you, and you let me know about it. So Sunday night, I said, we need to bring that back down into a particular range. I didn't tell you what the range was, but I'm telling you now. And so he mixed it on Sunday night. After Sunday night, there were people that came to him and said, why would you turn it down? Because now I don't hear the certain things in the mix. So, so this is where you're not going to please everybody. You have some people that want it louder. You have some people that want it less. You have some people that can't hear. And so we give them hearing-assisted devices. So, but regardless of all of that, you have to have a target. So you got to have a place. So that's, that's the first thing regarding sound. The second thing is there's a dynamic component to it. A dynamic component is things that change. I didn't know it, but the person that came in here, he's a great young man, along with his wife, Brother Stevie Jones, said that you really need to remix the room twice a year because when you turn the heat on, it changes the sound. When you turn air conditioner on, it changes the sound. Those are dynamic things. This is a dynamic situation that I've got right here, this microphone. So it's dynamic. If I pull it down here, it's not as loud. If I pull it up here, it's quite a bit louder. That's dynamic. And you got to learn how to use the microphone dynamically. This is why you'll see some people, when they hit a high note, they pull it way out here, and then they bring it back in. They, they know how to do that. It's a dynamic thing. Some people that don't know, they, they may blast you out because they're just hammering right here. And so that's a dynamic situation. Some people grab the microphone. Well, when you grab the microphone like this, you hear what that sounds like? This drives me crazy because preachers, I don't know what they're doing. They grab the microphone and I guess it looks good, but it sounds terrible. It's all tinny. There's, it's all, sounds like you're in a tin can. Versus this, which sounds robust and there's, right? Or if you're holding the microphone down here all the time, now you got highs. You don't get that warm sound. You get the highs. So in some cases, the sound guy back there, he's supposed to control that, but it's a dynamic situation. Sometimes on the instrumentation, it's a dynamic situation. Some, the other night, the young people got up there and they started out their song, man, they started out their song with the bang. Uh, they're real soft, like right now. Brother McAllister, when he plays, uh, just when I'm talking, He's got all these nifty little things and swells and makes you just feel warm and fuzzy and you're able to speak better and it's really, really good. And so the young people don't know that yet, so they're still trying to work on it. So they're kind of soft and unsure. But then when their song started, they're like, boom! And everybody's like, what in the world? That's because it's a dynamic situation and they didn't manage the dynamic situation the best and so it's really loud up front, okay? Nobody moved anything. It's, it's dynamic. So it's dynamic in here. This audience in here tonight, it's a pretty good Tuesday night audience. Sunday night, there's more. The more bodies you get in here, the more sound is absorbed. That's dynamic. You come in here before service and they're practicing, it's going to be very loud. That's why we have a sign up here that says it's going to be louder in here until service time. Because when there's nobody in the building, there's nothing to absorb the sound. So it's ricocheting off the walls. But when you get in here, your body absorbs it. Those are all dynamic things. And those are very, very difficult things to control. 
And you can try to control them, but in some cases, there may be one service like, nah, that sounds a little louder. And another service, you're like, that didn't sound as loud. Are they messing around with stuff back there? No, absolutely not. They are not messing with stuff back there. We don't want anybody back there that's just messing with knobs. That's the curse of a sound guy, is to get back there and all the EQs and stuff. That is terrible. We want, I won't mention any names, we once had a sound guy. We brought somebody in. He spent an entire service trying to get all the mix. This is delicate, complex. How do you get enough bass in, drums, keyboard, organ, synthesizer, three guitars, so that it's a blend, that it's pleasant, it's not discordant, and it's not just, just because I like the guitar, I'm going to turn it up, and that, that's not good, because uh, now that, that creates all kinds of stuff. Or I like the drums. There's a mix, and so this was back when we had an analog board. It had sliders. This is all digital now. You push a button, it all goes where it's supposed to go. It was sliders. He spent the entire thing, the whole service getting the sliders, got it all done, stepped back, took a big breath because service was over, looked over at the sound guy that was in the sound booth to see him take his arm like this and reach out and pull all the sliders down. And he about lost it. He said, what in the world did you just do? He said, I do this every service. That way I have a fresh start. Sister Lisa, you think that's funny. It's not funny because every service you have something different. <clears throat> Same sound guy. A lot of stories, good stories. I've been here for over 30 years, just some good stories. <clears throat> when the sound system went in, initially, there were no subs. So, subs are the low end. You don't necessarily hear the sub, you feel the sub. It's the low end. So, it's the bass and it's the drums. And we didn't have that. So, all you had was mid to highs. That's a problem. Because now, if, if, if your ears are sensitive to mids and highs, now you don't have a full spectrum of sound. So, but we did have subs. They were huge. They were not this big. These are all back under the platform now so that they're tucked away and they're not sticking out anymore. But we had big subs, and they were in the back somewhere. Well, he got the idea that we needed subs, and so he hooked up the subs in the back. And then when the service was going on, people literally thought we were having an earthquake. Because literally the building was shaking because he had them back there. And you know, sound is, it's frequencies and it's sound waves. They all have to be in sync. You can't put something back there that's coming and it's in delayed with something that's already going there. Now you've got this, this big jumble. And he thought that was, man, he thought that was great. And the guy that we were working said, if you don't get that guy out of the sound booth, I'm not coming back. Uh, so we had to make some decisions here. So you have to have a target. You have to have something you're shooting for. And you have to understand there's a dynamic component to that. And it will fluctuate and it will change. But here's the thing. I would rather have a little bit of dynamic and yet have consistency than to have somebody back there that's just constantly messing with stuff. So you got a very nice 
digital board back there and you can set everything and you can store it. You hit a button and it does everything. The only thing those guys do back there is sometimes they'll, they'll operate this mic if there's a lot of crowd noise and I'm talking and you can't get above that, they'll operate that side. But they're, they're, not, they're not messing with anything else. Uh, they better not be. They're not professionals, but they're very hardworking people. And they're doing a job that is, uh, uh, who would want that particular job? Something happens, everybody turns around and looks at you. Uh, they are, they're here early for church. They're here on Wednesday nights. They're here at funerals. They're here at weddings. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff that they do. And so I personally want to say to all of them back there in that sound booth, thank you very, very much for your dedication. We appreciate it. Amen. <clears throat> so there's a lot of dynamic stuff. We're talking about, we're talking about leadership sound, Ron sound. So there's a dynamic component to it. And so you got to figure out what, what it is. And, and, and this is important. You always are working on it. You're always working on it. Over time, it may change and shift. You need somebody to come in and, and, and fix some of that. But you have to have a range. The range that we use here in the church is 88 to 92 with the threshold of 95. I just took the thing that was down there among all the houses and what have you in a concert venue and just used that kind of as our range. There's another range that is used in places like, I say, the Pantages Theater. It's 90. So for their musical productions, they have a range of 90. But I have been there where sometimes it didn't feel like there was enough oomph because there's, there, there, there's a, a lid on that. So you, you got to figure out, okay, what is a good focus and what is a good target? What fits into an apostolic culture? You turn stuff down too much, you lose the end. The reason why rock concerts are so loud is because they want energy in the building. So it's kind of hard to have the persona of a rock concert if you, you got the sound turned down. So that's one of the reasons why. Well, we don't want it to be as loud as a rock concert, but we don't want to turn it down to the point where there's no oomph and there's no power and there's no move of God because we are apostolic and it is in our DNA that we worship God with a loud noise. The Holy Ghost is a powerful thing. And so therefore, you gotta, you, you, you gotta, you gotta find a balance there where some people would like it different and some people would like it different. And so you're in the middle, you're not pleasing everybody, but you know you're probably in the right place if someone at more and someone at less. And you're right in the middle and so you got a good, it's the sweet spot. And this is very, very difficult. This is not, ladies and gentlemen, please, this is not arbitrary. This is not something that, that is just uh, plucked out of the air. This is something that you really, really have to spend a lot of time. And there's a lot of angst that goes into it because you got a lot of people doing a lot of different stuff. And you're trying to do your best in a complex situation to deliver the best that you possibly can. And I want to tell you here tonight, I've been a lot of places. The sound in this building is the best that I've ever heard. Now, that may still be too loud, not loud enough, but in terms of just the sound, it's, it's the best, 
that I have heard. So you have to have a target, and there's a dynamic component. And now here's the third part, and this is the most important part. This is the subjective part. The subjective part is how I come to that, right? And that's subjective because for some, it's too loud. For some, it's not loud enough. For some, I can't hear. And then there's the guy that says, it's too loud, but yet the whole service, he's asking his wife, what do they say? Okay, so you come to it, it's subjective. You come to it with different opinions. You come to it with different viewpoints because God didn't make us all the same. He gave to us an opportunity to have different opinions. We're subjective. We come to it with different viewpoints. So that's the subjective part. And this is the same thing with the next subject, which is temperature. Temperature is the same way. You have one person that's sweating, and you have another person that's got a shawl, and they're shivering half of the time. It's subjective. You're never going to get it. It's the same way in my house. My kids come, turn it down. I turn it up. I stop messing with the thermostat. 70, 76 is pretty good. It's too hot. That's ridiculous. Thumbs up, Sister Comer, 76? All right, 76. How many agree with 76 is perfect? How many agree that this is where the kids put it? How many? 72. That's where everybody. Oh, see? Now, that's four degrees difference, and there's a lot of battles over those four degrees. I'm having hot flashes. My goodness, turn the. Yeah, well, it costs money. Those degrees translate into dollars. So there's this conversation that happens, right? <laughs> because you come to temperature subjectively. And so, you know, who's, what, what are you going to do? I, what is that set on over there? Can you see that? You need glasses. You've got glasses. What is it? It's set at 70. Okay. But before service, it's set at 68 because you have to condition the room. Because by the time everybody gets in here, then you got a lot of BTUs that are in here. And the BTUs in body temperature units. <laughs> so, so then when everybody gets in here and then the choir and then people start jumping, now more BTUs. And, and then it increases. And then it gets to the point where the air is just trying to, just trying to do its best. And it will get, especially if it's 110 outside. So that's, that's subjective. Recently we went to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It's humid. So when you're in humid areas, we're not used, we're, it's dry here. You go there, you walk into a building, you freeze to death. I froze to death. Sister Frost froze to death. My wife froze to death. <clears throat> Brother Brock loved it. He thought it was amazing. <clears throat> we come to things subjectively. They feel like, turn it way, way, way down because it's humid, and, you, you got, and then you go outside and then you want to come back inside and say you're hot and cold, and then you come home sick. And so that, that's what they do. So in subjective situations, you have to, so what do I do then? 
And this is, this subjective thing is a myriad of things, whether it's sound, whether it's temperature, whether it is light. Sister Michelle needs three pairs of glasses. Uh, whether it, I just threw in the ca cafe there just for fun. Whether it's the cafe, because when we did a cafe, why do we need a cafe? What, what, they're just doing stuff to be trendy. Why do we need to be trendy? That cafe saved our bacon during COVID. And not only did it reveal to us the importance of having it there, but it also fosters a sense of fellowship and unity. And many of your families and <laughs> your children love cafe. Are we going to the cafe? Are we going to the cafe? Uh, and so, you know, people get there and they fellowship and then it gives us opportunities to invite guests over there. So, again, subjectively, how are we approaching things? Some people, they don't like change at all. I understand that. The older I get, the more I recognize, you know, I just want to keep doing things the same way. But that's not necessarily a good, uh, a fixed mentality is not as good as a growth mentality. Because if you have a fixed mentality, you won't change anything. This is one of the problems in marriage. You're married. It's like the guy that the wife said, you know, I wish you'd show more affirmation and affection. And, I mean, can't you tell me I, you love me? And the husband says, I did. 20 years ago when we got married, I said I love you. Isn't that good enough? Fixed mentality. No. A growth mindset says I'm going to work on things that I recognize where I lack Right? And having a self-awareness is so, so valuable and important because many times we don't see ourselves. Right? And so sometimes it takes other people to tell us, this is why a good wife is really, really good. <clears throat> She'll tell you where, where you're missing things. And a daughter's not too bad either. She... And a son. <laughs> uh, so a growth mentality is, is, is trying to work on those things. Every single one of us here, I, this, this is really, really important. Don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop growing. Amen. Expand. Thank you. Okay, so I'm talking, about, I'm talking about things that can get in the way of the greater picture. I don't know about you, if you haven't recognized it or realized it, but in the last about six months, we have turned a corner. Uh, part of it is because of what we're doing with Harvest. People are receiving this last summer. And then we, ha and we haven't even been in a quote-unquote revival with somebody here. But people are getting the Holy Ghost. We are baptizing people. Spanish ministry is doing very, very well. God's doing great things. And if we're not careful, we'll get stuck on stuff that's, that's low and not see above that that God is doing great things. Praise God. He's doing great things. So, so, so what do I do then? What do I do with some of these situations? Well, you have to make adjustments. That's what you have to do. You have to make adjustments. For some people who can't hear, we have to make an adjustment so they can hear. For some people that's just like, man, I don't Maybe it's I'm getting too old, and so I'm sensitive in some areas. Put some earplugs in. You can reduce the sound level 35 decibels. And if we're running at 90, you can reduce that down to 55, 60, which is 
which if you look at that, it's, it's like a library. It's just ambient sound in the room. That's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Some, some people get upset. I knew that's what you were going to say. You were going to say put in earplugs. I don't have a problem with people putting earplugs in if it's the adjustment that you need to make. I'll, I'll use an example. I think she complained a little bit initially, but at some point she just like, and that was Sister Jenkins. She would come here before service when they were practicing in an empty building because she liked to listen to them practice. Just she had earplugs in. That's fine. She's making the adjustment. And so in making the adjustment, now don't, you know, if you grab a bunch of toilet paper and stick it in your ear and you got toilet paper hanging down like this, okay, then people are going to think you're just making a statement and the toilet paper is not doing a good job. This toilet paper is not a good, that's not good. You need some, some good earplugs. Um, they say, well, we're going to damage our hearing. You're not going to damage your hearing unless it's continuous over a long period of time. Our worship service is about 20 minutes. There's ebbs and flows. We're not operating at something that's 100 decibels continuously. It goes up and it goes down. Then depending on how somebody's using the microphone, then, this is what's fascinating, many times our peaks are when people are worshiping that has nothing to do with what's singing or what is playing. It has everything to do with people shouting with a loud voice. So you can't limit that. If we start doing that, then, then we fall into the same trap uh, of the Pharisees that said, tell these people to, to quiet. And Jesus said, if, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will surely cry out. So you got you to gotta find a target. You got to recognize their dynamic elements, their subjective elements, and you give people the ability to make those adjustments without belittling them because they may have earplugs in. That's what they need to do. That's great, right? So there's other people that got something on their ear because they can't hear. So that's great. So you have to make some adjustments. So how do I better my approach then when I come across some of these things? That's the end of the lesson, which is the leadership that Jesus gives to us is that we can't get stuck on those things that are, that are inconsequential compared to the larger picture. Understand, at some point, you've got to, this is not a situation that you resolve by saying, well, there's five people over here and they think it's too loud. Well, there's 40 people over here that think it's not loud enough. And now we, that's it. A pastor has got to step in and say, look, I'll take it on the chin. This is where I think it needs to be. Prayed about it. Asked everybody I could. Brought people professionally in. Tried to condition the building. Do everything that we could do. Take all the wedges off the platform. Every single musician over there is using in-ear monitors where before there were wedges. That creates a whole other thing. There's a lot of stuff that goes into all of that. And a lot of times you are worried about it. It's not something that you're trying to drive something to make a point. This is not, this is, that would not be good leadership. So somebody, somebody has to say, okay, I'm, this is, this is why I'm pastor. I got to make a decision here. 
And, and, and I know not everybody's going to be happy with it. And I know there's some that are going to want more and some going to want less. And it has to do with just about every area. Whether it is lights, temperature, a cafe, uh, whether it is live broadcasting, streaming that we're doing, what do we need that for? Did you know there's people here in this building tonight that watched us a long time before they ever stepped into the sanctuary? It's worth it for those people that are here that said, you know what, I want to see what this is all about. I'm not sure I want to go to church there yet. But you know what happened is the Holy Ghost moved, and they felt it in their home, and they came to the church because they recognized there's a drawing and a pulling, and so I want to know what God is doing, and God radically transformed their life. All right, well, we've never done that before. Well, we can't. Look, we don't need to change our doctrine. That's non-negotiable. I start changing doctrine. You, you, you could really come down hard on me because this church needs to be accountable to the apostolic doctrine, which is a new birth experience, the oneness of God, holiness living. We've not deviated and changed any of that, and we won't, and we're going on 80 years, and hopefully if the Lord tarries, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. <clears throat> But in terms of methodology, there are things that are methodological that you may not like that has nothing to do with salvation. There are things that we're trying to do to reach to a generation that we are presently in. Now we're trying to reach into the Spanish community. Why are we doing that? We've never done that. We've always had Sunday school for young people, and now you're taking young people and moving them all over the place. We had 41 people in Spanish church on Sunday, and 29 of them were guests. we we got to try to think. How, how, how can we reach? How can we think differently? What can we do? And so that may not be your cup of tea. And I don't mind if you want to have an opinion about that and say, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know if that's, that's something that's really needed. But I do know this. Pastor's trying to do his best. They're always working on it, and I'm praying for him. Okay, that's great. But what we don't want is discord. Discord will absolutely kill any kind of revival it will stunt our growth. It will create divisions. We don't want that. We, what we want is revival. We want the Holy Ghost to move in a powerful way. <clears throat> you may not know this, but in our culture as a leadership, when we get together and we talk about stuff, the one thing that we always ask is how can we do it better? How can we do it better? That opens up and fosters people having opinions to say, you know what, I think if we did this, it would change that. It would, it would, it would uh, help us in this area. And so we're not, I am not a dictator. If you think that I am a dictator, you need to talk to somebody that comes from churches where the pastor rules with a wrought iron. And there are some. I don't make every decision for you. Some pastors do. They have to go to the pastor to find out, should I take this job? Can I take this job? Yes or no? I, that's not the way I operate. That's just not me. Uh, I believe that it's my responsibility to advise you. You come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think about this? Well, let's talk about it. 
Let's talk about the pros. Let's talk about the cons. Let's talk about is that good, necessary, what spiritually, what it's going to do. And then given all that information, we, we need to pray about that so that you make the right decision. Rather than telling you when you come, just saying yes or no. No, you can't do that. Well, in some places, that's how, that's how it is. I don't operate that way. I'm not a dictator. I'm not the Lord over God's kingdom. Not supposed to be. And this is not this is not the Kevin Bradford show either. If it was the Kevin Bradford show, I'd be in this pulpit every time I had the opportunity, and nobody would be able to do anything unless I gave the okay. And there are people that preach in this pulpit. Why do you do that? Because I want to see them grow. Praise God. Brother Casey, you remember Brother Casey way back, 36 and 0? Can you ever, did you ever imagine that he'd be able to get into a pulpit and do what he did? You know why? Because God, through Bible quizzing and a lot of other stuff and good preaching and good teaching and growth and development, people supporting him, he can get into this pulpit and preach a word from God, and it's powerful. I'm not coming up here opening up with prayer, then leading the song, then, then giving the announcements, and then taking the offering, and then preaching, and then giving the altar call. Some places they do. But if they do that, you don't grow people. And there's no opportunity. Did you know Chuck Coburn, when he came here, he's an evangelist, powerful preacher. He preached at 238. He said he never, never preached one time in his local church not one time and until he went to the evangelistic field. Well, I don't, I don't want it to be that, that way here. I, I want to use, thank God for our ministry staff. Every single one of these men on this platform are high caliber. You know why they're high caliber? Because we gave them an opportunity, and then we worked with them collectively. There might have been some bad messages, but I'm, I've preached some bad messages too, so. And so because of that, we, we've got a strength in our ministry that is, is an example of you. Praise God. It's an example of you. So let's end this by looking at this whole thing. How does that all tie into leadership? Well, it ties all into leadership because if we're not careful, we, sometimes we can get led astray by focusing on the insignificant things rather than focusing on the significant things. I think that's true for, for any area of life. And sometimes, you know, we, we allow stuff to pile on top of it. Some of our frustration. This is why coming to an altar is always good because you can release all that stuff. If, if you let stuff pile up on top, on top, on top, on top, then really the problem is not this. The problem is from here down there. And I've let all this stuff, I'm dissatisfied. Maybe it's dissatisfaction with family things, uh, unrealized expectations, uh, your, your, your health. We need to pray for David Bayerano. David Bayerano does so much work around here. He's tweaked his back, and, and so he just he's really frustrated. Um, he does a truckload of work down here and gets uh, very little for it by his own desires. He spray washes, he sets up every funeral, he sets up the Libby Center, he cleans, he's doing a lot of stuff, but he's down in his back and so he can't do that. Uh, <clears throat> where was I going with that? 
What? Oh, pile, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, and all this stuff becomes very, very frustrating when human nature is to latch on. Instead of dealing with all of that stuff, I fixate on this little thing. And, and that, that's what ends up taking a lot of my time and attention. And Jesus recognized the disciples were in that kind of mode where they didn't even understand what he was telling them. I'm going to Calvary, the cross. I'm doing a great work. And, and they're arguing about who can be the greatest. And so he has to spend time. With, and then they forsake him leaving. They abandon him. The church that he established is set up with 12 scatters everything, and yet he was still resolute and focused on, on greater things. And that's the crux of everything that I'm saying here today. Focus on greater things. You're going to find a lot of stuff that can drag you down. Not, not beyond, okay, beyond sound, temperature, all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about life in general. You're going to find a lot of stuff that can sidetrack you. And, 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 and you got to look beyond that. Look at the greater, what's the greater things? Not my dissatisfaction. I look back at, at stuff that I wish I could take back. My family, all of this kind of stuff. Relationships that are not right. Things that are presently happening. Look, look greater. Look, look above that. Because if, if you come to church and you're fixated on that, you're going to come, it's, you're going to feel like you're bound and there's no freedom and there's no liberty. So when you come to the house of God, look up just a little bit and say, God, you're still sovereign. You're still doing amazing things. You're doing signs, miracles, and wonders. I'm, I'm not focusing on the car that broke down. I'm not focusing on the bills that I'm behind on. I'm focusing on the work of God, and God is doing amazing things, and he's a sovereign God. And so my focus, and I'm, my eyes are fixed on greater. I'm looking at the forest and not just the tree that is in front of me. And when God unifies everybody to that purpose, we can do great things. Praise God. We may have missed the mark, but we can get back on track and say, God, you got to help me. You got to direct me. I want your anointing to flow through me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Give me clarity. Give me focus. Give me anointing and let me do the work of God. Hallelujah. We stand together in the house of God tonight. I know tonight was a probably a, well, certainly atypical. Keep your eyes on the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And watch out for the little foxes that can destroy the vines. Amen. <laughs> and let God elevate you and use you in the kingdom of God. You believe God can use you? Praise God. Amen. God can use every single one of us. Hallelujah. So we need to pray for every aspect of the church, every ministry of the church, and we need to ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and goodness. I thank you for these people that make up the church of God in this community. We are a city that is set on a hill. I pray that you would elevate and strengthen, bring blessing, bring blessing on their jobs, blessings in every area of their life, and use us Amen. For the kingdom of God in this community. We give to you thanks and we praise you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. We pray.
Amen, amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake somebody's hand and tell them, let God use you. Let God use you mightily. Amen. God bless you. Yeah. 